You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. I, I love, I've always loved listening to James play. Uh, again, for those of you who are newer around here, about, gosh, probably been 10 years ago now, uh, we had a concert here one night called James Reeves Does James Taylor. And, uh, oh, that was fun. That's I, my wheelhouse right yeah. there. Uh, I played drums with him, and, uh, man, we had, a, we had a killer cast of people up here playing. And uh, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite moments, honestly. It was a, it was a good time. How are y'all doing today? Let's see if I can get my notes working here. Notes working. There you go. That's part of the problem when you play and then you come over here and you change hats. Although I didn't change hats, did I? No, you didn't. I wouldn't know anything about singing and then immediately preaching after. No, no. no you, just, you just pound the drums. Yeah, exactly. And... <laughs> no, actually, uh, if you're a guest, uh, he sings halfway decent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's nice. That's I nice. love it. <laughs> He's going to pull out a song here in a minute and prove me yeah. that that was an understatement that, for sure, that it really was. Uh, next week, we are going to look forward. Uh, we're doing away with the preaching desk today. We normally, you know, we sit behind the preaching desk, but we just decided we'd do away with it. Today, we may do away with it, you know. we for may a little while. We may light a fire with it or something. I wonder how many of you have ever heard of the Chevy Nova Award? Gosh, y'all never heard of that. Okay, well, the Chevy Nova Award is awarded to a company every year that has attempted to market their product in another country, and something got messed up in the translation. Now, these are real, this is a real deal. In fact, the Chevy Nova Award was grant, given to GMC whenever they wanted to market the Nova car, remember the Chevy Nova, in Mexico. The problem was is that in, in Spanish, Nova means no-go. It means not going. And so that wasn't really a, a very inspiring uh, logo uh, or slogan in, in Mexico. The U.S. Dairy Association a number of years ago, remember the Got Milk campaign? They're actually still doing it. But when you translate that into Spanish, literally, it says, are you lactating? <laughs> and that didn't go over real big. The American T-Shirt Association, uh, one of the American uh, T-Shirt manufacturers, when the Pope visited and came to Miami a number of years ago, wanted to, you know, capitalize on that event, so made T-Shirts that says, I saw the Pope. Now, Pope is in Spanish, or is El Papa, okay, the Pope. But it came out, somebody put La Papa, which means potato, <laughs> and it means I saw the potato. I saw the potato, praise God. Now... <laughs> This had to be some gringo. <laughs> the Holy Roman Potato. Yeah, the Holy Roman Potato. This had to be some gringo that, that did that, and they didn't bother to get a, a native speaker to check the translation. You remember Braniff Airlines? Here, this is a good one. How many of you remember Braniff Airlines? They've been out of business, what, 30 years? But when I was a teenager, when I was at Baylor, Braniff Airlines was one of the biggest airlines in, in the country. Um, and this was before they even began giving the, the Chevy Nova Awards. They pulled this one. But this one would have won, no doubt about it. Wanting to ag advertise Braniff's first-class seats, which were leather, their fly-in-leather campaign, they, which literally in Spanish is vuela en cuero, okay? 
fly in leather. But mistakenly, they did vuela en cueros, which means fly naked. <laughs> from what I understand. So, I don't know. Maybe that, in Europe, that would have gone over real big. Probably. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not sure in, in Mexico how that, that goes. But all of these companies learned valuable lessons. They've learned valuable lessons, in fact, the hard way. Uh, and one of those valuable lessons is probably when you translate from one language to another, you should have a native speaker actually give you translation and then double check it. Absolutely. And we all know that those lessons that are learned by experience are the ones that we usually learn the best, and they're the ones that usually stick with us the most. So what we're going to do this morning is lessons that we have learned. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you three, and then I'm going to turn it for the real meat of the thing. This is more of a personal testimony for me, and as well as for Derek, but his is going to be much more theological probably than mine is this morning. One of the things I've learned, not just in the last year, but really over the last 10 or 12 years, has really come to fruition and have really figured it out within the last couple of years, as many of you have, and that is that life isn't just mountaintops and then valleys. You've heard that before, that, that life is like, okay, you're on this mountaintop and everything is going great, and then, you know, you go into this valley of this difficult experience. You've all heard that. But in my life experience, what I've come to understand is that Life is mountains and valleys at the same time. They're typically in some area of our life that we're living on this mountaintop and it's a wonderful experience. And at the very same time, in another area of our life, there is a valley kind of experience. And as I said, this, this lesson has not just been learned in this last year, but this lesson has been learned over 67 years of my life, but really over the last 10 or 12 years. And so let me give you some of those mountaintop experiences for me since about 2010. In 2010, my first book, Refuge, uh, the hospital church, was published at nationally, and people, all 15 people that read it really enjoyed it. <laughs> and then right on the tail end of that, Life Change for Every Christian, the 12, biblically-based 12-step workbook, uh, was published. Um, I was asked in probably, I think it was 2012, to participate in the Conquer Series for Men, which I had no idea was going to be as big as it is. It's about helping men to uh, live in sexual integrity, overcome pornography and those kinds of things. And they asked me because we'd been doing this for many years in our church and I'd written about that subject and uh, I had no idea what it was gonna do, but it's been seen by over a million men now in America. And I then uh, was inspired to produce the Fearless Series for Women, which would, uh, was just released this last year, uh, a five, video series about addressing this, the plague of sexual abuse of women and giving women, Christian women in the church a tool to begin to discuss those questions. That was a very much a mountaintop experience doing that as, as a publishing of my first book and all of those things. Then a well-respected ministry called Covenant Eyes. How many of you have heard of Covenant Eyes ministry? They do software. They commissioned me to write a version of the Life Change Workbook specifically for them. I've been working on that for the last several years. Uh, we did some video along with it. They're going to release that nationally and internationally because they're an international company uh, coming this year. So, so that, you know, obviously that is a, a much of a mountaintop experience. I, all these years have been invited to travel, teaching, and speaking around the country. Just within the last month have been asked, invited to help a national ministry to develop a follow-up strategy for what they do. Uh, for people who attend their events, but also to help them plant two churches. They're wanting to plant hospital churches in uh, Reno and in Michigan, Reno, Nevada, and Michigan, and they've asked me to guide them through that process. Um, 
So that's a mountaintop experience, the privilege of being able to purchase Refuge Ranch and watch it go into its development and see the, the people, not only the kids, but adults as they go out there and enjoy the animals and the, the, the venue. Uh, that's a mountaintop experience. Five grandchildren that I adore. Um, and I've been honored and blessed to participate in supporting Derek's growth into the place where he is. Yeah. Um, and he is here today, uh, you know, as a senior pastor, and I've been devalued to the teaching pastor, uh, <laughs> to carry this church into the next generation. And so all of those are incredible high points. Folks, that's happened in the last 10 or 11 years of my life. Yeah. In the last 10 years, since 2010 to now, everything I said to you has happened since that time, even the birth of all of my grandchildren. So there have been some incredible mountaintop kind of experiences for me during that time. But at the same time that all of that was happening, I faced some valleys. I got old. <laughs> you know, really, I mean... I never really thought that I, I never really thought about getting old. I never, I mean, for, it seemed like for all of my life, everywhere I went, everyone was older than me. And, and that people would be amazed at how young I was and that I was a pastor and had an earned doctorate and all those kinds of things. Now my kids are nearly 40 years old. <laughs> and nobody is amazed anymore. <laughs> James 4.14 says, your life is like a vapor. Yeah. Here for a moment. And then it's gone. gone. And the imagery there is of condensation. You walk out on a cold morning and you see your breath and, it, and you can see it for a few seconds and then it, it goes away. That's the picture of our life on this planet. And so the scripture encourages us over and over to not waste the time that we have. Ephesians 5.16, Paul says, make the most of your time for the days are evil. And we only have a certain amount of years, a certain amount of time that God has given us on this planet to impact our world for the gospel of Jesus. A second valley that happened for me was 2010, right about the time that Refuge was published. A tumor was discovered in the cavernous sinus right at the base of my brain uh, that began to take away my sight, my ability to see out of my left eye. And that was very traumatic. I didn't know what to do with that. And and uh, finally, my son said, well, Dad, you're just going to have to own it because it's inoperable. They couldn't do anything about it. And the nerve is dead now. The left uh, ocular motor nerve is dead. So my, this eye is locked off over here. It's wonderful because when I really take the patch off, I can watch the car in front of me and the person jogging down the sidewalk at the same time. <laughs> so it does have some value, but I don't get to use that value very, very often. Uh, and, and that was a struggle. But my son said, Dad, you just got to own it. Wear an eye patch and just own it. And I said, okay, I'll own it. I used to do gigs in restaurants around Dallas-Fort Worth area. Some of you would go, and I'd do James Taylor gigs, three-hour gigs of live music. And, and I played at a place in Burleson one time, and this is a little, little X-rated here, but, but the manager was a young guy, and the first time that I played there, I was wearing the eye patch. The next time, about three weeks later, I, I'd forgotten my eye patch, so I was going to just keep my eye closed all night so that I could see. And he said, where's your eye patch? And I said, man, I forgot it. He said, oh, no, that's badass. <laughs> and I went... Well, okay, I guess it is, so I'm just going to continue to wear the patch and make sure that I don't forget it. If that offended any of you, I didn't say it. I just report the news. You can email the senior pastor. And, I don't uh, write it. Yeah, email him. Complain to him. Hey, you know, we did used to joke around a lot that, that whenever James would come in to preach on Sundays with the snakeskin eye patch, we'd go, oh, he's in a bad mood this morning. Yeah. You're going to have to watch out. Message is going to be... Uh, That's right. Woo. Well, I preached at a national convention of men in Seattle about four years ago, 
and uh, they came from all over the nation, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of them, and I wore my rattlesnake eye patch, and I said, this is the one I wear when I want people to leave me alone. <laughs> and uh, the third thing that's been a valley, it's really been a valley my whole life, but it really, uh, you know, in, in sync with this is, uh, is depression, my continued struggle with depression. And as I, I said to you before, I've been very open about this. This has been something that I've struggled with all of my life. I can remember as a child, just didn't know what to call it. In my mid-50s, I finally swallowed my pride and sought medical intervention, and I'm incredibly thankful for that, that there's technology that can help those of us who have brain chemistry issues. But there still are periods of time when, when that thing raises its ugly head, and sometimes it does so when there is no life reason at all, when I'm standing on the top of the mountain, almost looking down and saying, there is no limit to what God can do, and then all of a sudden it raises its ugly head. And that's why I know it's a physical thing. Fourth valley that came along during this period of time, uh, two years ago, my wife was nearly killed in a tragic bicycle accident. Many of you don't really know how traumatic that really was, but she suffered traumatic brain injury. And uh, she went riding on a Sunday afternoon. She was actually auditioning for a commercial. She's a commercial actress, and so they wanted to make sure that she could ride a bike, ride a mountain bike. So he, she had a GoPro on her bike, and she went into some trails that were really above her, her ability. And, uh, you know, something happened. Don't even really know what happened, and she was knocked out. About 3 o'clock that afternoon, I'd taken a nap, and, 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 and I woke up, and I remember thinking, she's not home. Something's wrong. And that really wasn't unusual for her, because she could go out and shop for six hours, and you know, no big deal. She'd call me when she wanted me, but something told me something's wrong. And so I called her phone and a paramedic answered it. And the paramedics had been called. She'd been found on the trail and they transferred her to the trauma unit at uh, John Peter Smith Hospital. For you that are interested in the medical uh, diagnosis, she suffered diffuse axonal injury is what they call it. And it is irre irreparable and nothing can be done about it. She will recover to the extent that she's able to recover. But her life changed in that moment. As, as did all of ours. Um, but she's doing great, comparatively, to where she could be. She could, it could have killed her. She was on the second level, and the third level, you never wake up. Then there's a whole list of other things uh, that fall into that valley category. But my real point here is, isn't, is that life isn't really mountains and then valleys. Life really is. If you can look at your life over the course of your life, that it is mountains and valleys at the same time. There are areas of your life that are great things are happening, good things are going on, and at the same time, other parts of your life may be about to be flushed down the toilet. It was that way in the life of the Apostle Paul. He's only one example. We could probably point to most of the great characters in the Scripture uh, for examples of this. But while Paul was in prison in Rome, in prison for the gospel and waiting to have a hearing before uh, Emperor Nero, he wrote to the Philippian church to encourage them. He's in the prison, he's encouraging them. In chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and he's talking about his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel so that the gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, this man is in prison, but he's going, but, and, and that's a valley experience. But at the same time, it has allowed me to share Christ with the, the guard and the believers who see me and see my courage to face this, they are encouraged to share the gospel. So he's having a mountain and he's having a valley. 
The gospel is speaking through. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul speaks about that thorn in the flesh. We're very familiar with it. He wanted to be rid of it. He prayed God over and over, get rid of this, remove this valley. I want to be done with it. But when he came to understand that God's power was being made perfect through him in his weakness, because that weakness would make him depend upon God's power. When God said, my power is perfected in your weakness, then Paul rejoiced and he stated, then I'll glory in this weakness. I'm gonna glory in this valley, in this thorn, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Mountains and valleys, mountains and valleys. At the same time, that's life. Can I, can I interject real fast? Sure can. Because I think that, that that brings up or answers a question that, that I hear people struggle with from time to time, which is when, when people are walking, when you're walking through a difficult moment in your life and something good happens, there's almost a sense of guilt mm. of, I don't know that I should feel okay about celebrating that or yeah. joyful about that because there's this other thing happening that's... Mm. And, I, and I think what you're getting at is that part of walking a mature faith is learning how to celebrate in the valley, learning how to exalt in the valley, mm. yeah. and learning how to mourn on the mountain. They're, they're both, that's, that's, really, that's really fantastic. In fact, I would say it this way. It's really a question of mountains and valleys of where you focus. And that really is it. This is not positive thinking or anything. It's real biblical truth. Where are you going to focus? But you see, if you focus on the valley in your life, then you'll miss the blessing, the fullness of the blessing of the mountain. Because your, your, your attention will be so focused on that difficult thing that's going on. But if you focus on that mountain you will be able to gain strength to face the valley. If you focus on the valley, it will suck your, your life out of you where you can't enjoy the mountain. But if you focus only on the mountain, you're going to get strength from the Christ in order to deal with the valley. Mm. That's the first thing. Life is, life is val- mountains and valleys. It's not mountains and then valleys. The second thing is that the greatest thing we can offer Christ isn't our ability but it is our availability. And I know that sounds trite and you've heard that before, but it is very, very true. When I was a younger man, many, many decades ago, eons ago, <laughs> I focused on ability. I really did. I came to Christ at 18 right off the streets, and man, I, had, I was behind, and I had a lot of catching up to do, and I focused on ability, increasing my ability. Because, you see, that's how the world works. The world works according to your ability. So if you have the highest grade, you get to go to the best schools. If you run the fastest, you get the trophy or the ribbon. If you graduate at the top of your class, then you get the best job offers. And that's okay. That is how our world works. But the tragedy is we so often bring that mindset over into our walk with Christ as if we are only valued to Him according to our ability. And we, ater- we determine our usefulness so often by our ability or our lack thereof. And if we have great ability, then we think we're God's gift to the kingdom, okay, to the world. And if we don't, then we believe we don't have anything to offer and we tend to sit back. And God does use our abilities. There's no doubt about it. But God looks way beyond our abilities and his word teaches us that from very beginning to end. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He's talking about those disciples that had gathered around him as well as those Corinthian Christians. Remember, they were a bunch of fishermen, the rejects of society. Who did Jesus choose? The foolish things. What the world said has nothing to offer, nothing of value. He didn't choose kings. He didn't choose the big dogs. He chose the foolish things. And Paul's reiterating that, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, shepherds, fishermen, even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Mm. And for decades, I've watched this principle work out here at City on a Hill and all the other names that we had before that. <laughs> I've been demonstrated here because this entire ministry is built upon that principle. It is, de- it is dependent upon people, most of all, who do not have great ability but have great availability. That's right. And that is what the Father primarily looks for, not our ability, although he will use our ability, but our availability to him. And I look around this, this ministry and have watched it since we transitioned in 1992 into the hospital church model, and I see the incredible work that some of you are doing that the average church would look at and say they have nothing to offer. As a matter of fact, not only do they have nothing to offer, we just assumed they weren't here. And I've watched you take your brokenness and turn it into healing. I've watched you take your malady and turned it into ministry. I've watched recovering alcoholics become ministers to other alcoholics. I've watched, I'm watching women right now. It's wonderful and have with Vanessa's leadership for many decades to women who are survivors of sexual abuse and watching you turn that malady into ministry to other women. That is not ability, that is availability. And God loves to use the foolish things of the world Mm. and confound the wise. When a pastor friend of mine one time asked me, where do you get your leadership in this hospital church? I said, we turn addicts into elders. I love that. That way, that way we don't get the glory. Jesus gets the glory when he takes that which is weak and confounds the wise. Last week, glory in the highest from the lowest. That's exactly what we talked about. Give glory in the highest. We give glory in the lowest. Mm-hmm. He works his best in the lowest. That's right. I remember my prayer 50 years ago when I came to Christ. In fact, my 50th anniversary in Christ is coming up New Year's Eve this year. It was New Year's Eve 1971 in Cloudcroft, New Mexico, just off of the streets, out of the drug culture, when I bowed my head and I gave my life to Jesus Christ, having no idea where that was going to take me. But I do remember what I prayed. I pray, Jesus, if you can take this mess I've made of my life already at the age of 18, then I give myself to you. Mm-hmm. And he's done that. Yeah. He's been faithful to that promise. The third thing is faithfulness is where you are, not where you want to be. Mm-hmm. I'll do this very quickly. Faithfulness is where you are, not where you want to be. It's so good. We often say, I'll be faithful when God gives me this. No, you won't. If you're not faithful right now, you won't be faithful there. Faithfulness is where you are, not where you want to be. In the parable of the talents of the money, uh, t- uh, talents of, the given, of money given to the servants, Jesus said that. To the two who had been good stewards of what had been entrusted to them, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will give you charge over many. Faithfulness is about where you are, not where you want to be. I remember hearing that saying of the corporate CEO who said to one of the young Men in the company says, you want to be where I, you want to be in my seat, but you want, don't want to do what I did to get here. You want to be in my seat, but you want, don't want to do what I did to get here. And, and as I said, one of the great blessings of me is, has been, been willing to watch Derek. I've been able to watch Derek since the time he came to us as a non-believer when he was 21 years old. And, 
and now is working on his doctorate and has two master's degrees in theology and divinity. And to watch uh, him be faithful, he started off as just a gopher for my wife. He was just a gopher. It's true. He just had go for this, go for that. And to come to the point where he was available, he was faithful in each one of those places, and God just took him to the next level each time and to where now he's in that position that I've longed to give away for many years where all the complaints go to him. <laughs> I worked this hard for this? Yes, did. you did. I did. Welcome to the ministry. I did. I did. So. Yeah. Life is mountains and valleys. Focus on the mountain. God looks for availability, not ability. Just be available. Faithfulness where you are, not where you want to be. Be faithful today. Mm. Take it, Derek. For my part, I am going to talk about another kind of dualism, if you will, um, that is very observable that many of you have, have certainly seen play out over this past year. In the same way that life is both a series of mountains and valleys simultaneously. Um, what I have learned this past year is that truth, spoken truth, brings about both unity and division at the same time. Uh, and in the same way, truth is the cause of both unity, unifying people, and dividing people, the same exact thing. Uh, I can say one thing, or James can say one thing from the stage, and that, that one statement from the Word of God can bring both unity to people and also division. And we, we see this play out in Scripture a lot. We see it in Jesus' teaching, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like this man. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, usually when we talk about this parable, we emphasize what we believe is really the point of the parable, which is that the results of obedience are generally good and the results of disobedience are generally bad. If you do the words of Jesus, your house is going to stand. It's going to withstand the storm. If you do not do the words of Jesus, the storm is likely going to destroy your house. That's the point of the parable. But notice that both the ones who are doing the words of Jesus and the ones who are not doing the words of Jesus are hearing the same exact words of Jesus. <laughs> Nothing has changed there. The same truth. It's the same truth. In other words, Jesus speaks. Some are unified to him through his words, and some are divided away from him through his words. Same words, unity and division at the same time. We see it in Jesus' teaching. We really see it with Jesus himself. Not only is it that Jesus' teaching unites and divides, but Jesus himself unites and divides because Jesus himself is truth. He said in John 14, 6, For I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not, then, understand this, Jesus is not the means by which we find the truth. Jesus is the truth. If you found Jesus, you found the truth. That's right. If you know Jesus, you know the truth. John said in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. So not only the words of Jesus are, are true, but Jesus himself is the very embodiment of truth. Now, that theological reality 
presents to us two things that I really want you to get here this morning. Number one, what this means is you cannot live according to truth and reject Jesus. You can't do it. If Jesus is the truth and you have rejected Jesus, you have rejected the truth. They go hand in hand. That cuts the heart out of postmodernism, doesn't it? It cuts it right out. And it it is interesting, actually, that the secular worldview, postmodernism, rejects not only what we say is true. Postmodernism rejects the very idea of truth. The very concept of objective truth is just thrown out the window. There is no such thing as objective truth in the postmodern worldview that is so prevalent today in universities, high schools, and various other social groups. There is no such thing as objective truth. Everyone is just living your version of truth. Right? You stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine. I'm going to do what I think is right. You're going to do what you think is right. The book of Judges says um, that doesn't play itself out well when that happens. (laughs) It never really does. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and lots of bad things happened. But it's interesting, right? I mean, this this postmodern position is exactly what the Bible predicts would happen. If you reject Jesus, you reject truth. You, it's, you can't even understand it. You can't even comprehend it. Paul says that, that you're not spiritually discerned. You, you don't have the tools to even understand the truth if you've rejected Jesus. This is why I don't debate with non-Christians anymore. I, I, I don't, because until they know and receive Jesus, they will never know and receive truth. I can, I can say all the things, and I can present all the arguments, and I can do everything I can in the best manner, with the best spirit possible, and they will not hear it. Not because they're unwilling necessarily, because they're not even capable of hearing it. Jesus is the truth. They're one and the same. You know, the interesting thing about it, I got, have I got mine? Yeah, yeah. Is we hear a lot today because there is great division within the church in America. There's great division within local churches. And, and this cry out of everybody, let's just quit arguing. Let's quit fighting. Let's just be unified. You know what the scripture says? <laughs> we are to be unified around the truth. truth. And when error is being brought into and amalgamated into the truth, we have to do war with it. Yes. We are called to do battle. And that causes dissension and it causes hurt. Unity is not something that we are to have to everybody just decide his truth. We are to be unified around the truth. And if we do not confront error when we see it being amalgamated into the truth, then we have not done our job. Well, and let me, let me say, for those of you who, who I suspect most of you probably are not uh, even minorly well-versed in church history, but you've probably heard of the Nicene Creed, right? It's a fairly well-known creed that comes out of the Council of Nicaea, something else that you, I'm, I'm sure at least some of you have heard of. When you observe church history over the years, Nicaea is one of many councils, Constantinople, uh, Chalcedon, Nicaea II. There's all kinds of them through the years. All of these councils, all of these synods are for what James is talking about, that very reason. The moment error creeps into theological teaching in the church, they go, hey, we need to have a meeting. We need, to, we need to chase this thing out and figure out what is truth, what is orthodoxy, what is a lie, so that we can route it out and appropriately call heretics who are actually and heretics. And at that moment, the truth does both of those things. It, it unites, unites around truth and, and it divides. divides. Absolutely. Absolutely. Truth always does that. That's why truth is so important. Just because somebody says, well, I love Jesus. No. That isn't enough. No. You need to have I want more. to know what you mean by Jesus. Right. I want to know what you believe about Jesus. 
how it matches up with the Word of God. Absolutely. You cannot live for Jesus and reject the truth. But there's a second part of this, because the converse is true as well. You cannot live for Jesus and reject truth. That's the other side of this coin. You cannot live for Jesus and reject the truth. I kind of got ahead of you. That's okay. Even knowing where you were going, yeah. I got ahead of you. As a Christian, you <laughs> cannot say, I'm living my life for Jesus, and then turn around and reject God's word. You can't do that. That, that, is, that is a, it makes no sense. You can't say, I love Jesus, and then move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you get married. Because the same thing as saying I love Jesus is have to, I love truth. Right. Because Jesus is right. truth. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, oh, I moved in my, my boyfriend because I loved him. Yeah, well, you may love your boyfriend. You don't love Jesus. I mean, that's just the reality. That's what the scriptures teach. It's a contradiction. You can't say, I love Jesus, and then advocate for abortion. You can't do that. It's a contradiction to who Jesus is. People will sometimes, let me, let me, let me just address this here for a minute too. Oh, no. People will sometimes <laughs> respond with, well, you know, you say you're pro-life and I don't see you doing anything for the orphans. And first of all, one of my daughters is adopted, so that doesn't really work on me. <laughs> you can't but, use that with him. <laughs> but, but second of all, it's a really stupid, weak argument because it's, it's conflating two ideas together that are actually not alike at all. There's a massive difference between passively not advocating for something good and actively advocating for something bad. Those are not the same things. One is, at worst, indifferent to an issue. The other is active participation with the issue. That's right. Someone who doesn't do enough for orphans is not in the same category as someone who is promoting, promoting the murder of the unborn. It's not, it's not the same. You're not the same person. But this is why, and this brings up a really good point, why we talk about real-world issues like we do here at City on a Hill. Because loving Jesus is not lip service. It's not about what you say. It's not about what you feel inside or whatever. It's, not, it's about letting him organize and direct every single aspect of your life, not just your life in church, not just your life in Bible study, not just your life in your little church group friend circles, but letting him direct and organize every single aspect of your life. If you say that you love Jesus and then you live your life in opposition to what he is teaching and who he is, you don't really love Jesus. You just want fire insurance. Well, and, and when I help the, plant these churches in Reno and Michigan, I've told the church planters, I said, if you want to pastor a mega church, don't use this church model. No. Because the hospital church model is based in truth, and the truth pisses people off. It does. And there are not that many people that want to live according to truth and face real life. Right. But if you really want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to help broken people be reclaimed and, and regenerated, then this is, the, this is the model because I believe it was Jesus' model. Actually. And listen, man, I, I know, I know, for, and for those of you online as well, I know that you don't like to hear that, to hear me say that, that if you're living in a certain way, then, then you don't really love Jesus. So let me, let me rephrase this a little bit, maybe to make it a little bit more palatable for you. Maybe you are living for Jesus, just not the Jesus of the Bible. Maybe you're living for a made-up version of Jesus that, that accepts these things. But if you're, if you're saying you live for the Jesus of the Bible, then you have to organize and direct your life around the Jesus of the Bible. And what that means is sometimes, oftentimes, making unpopular decisions that make people uncomfortable, mad, and frankly, divide them away from your life as a result of it. And this has really been a prevalent theme this past year. It highlights 
this point that I'm making here, that, that truth brings both unity and division. Whenever we teach this, whenever we talk about this, whenever we engage in topics like this, and it hits you in an uncomfortable manner, if I say something and you're like, ooh, and it hits you in an uncomfortable manner, you are tasked at that point by God to make a decision to either change your life and live according to the truth of God's word or continue doing whatever you want to do knowing that you are in active opposition to what God has said. And one thing that I learned in 2021 is the importance of truth, not just in my own personal life. I've, I've always understood that since I've come to faith, but really in the context of the local church. I've had time to reflect on a lot of this, and, and it has become so clear to me the need, the desperate need for clear, sound, biblical teaching within the context of the local church. Obviously, the health of a church, the growth of a church is impacted by a variety of different things. There's no question about that. There's need for leadership. There's need for discipleship and mentoring and evangelism and missions. All of those things are, are fundamental to the growth and vitality of a healthy local body of Christ. But the foundation of every single one of those things is sound doctrine. It has to be sound doctrine. You cannot have strong leadership if it's not rooted in biblical wisdom. You can't do discipleship according to Jesus if it's not biblical, Jesus-centered discipleship. You will engage in the wrong mission and miss the mark if you are not rooted in sound teaching. Your evangelistic efforts will amount to approximately nothing if you are not rooted in sound biblical teaching. Clear exposition of truth is the most important thing for a local church. And one of the passages that came to my mind this week, and, and frankly has come to my mind several times over the last nine, ten months, is uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. It was written by the Apostle Paul. It was, it was written to young Timothy, who at this point in Timothy's life had been charged to pastor the church in Ephesus, the church, one of the, one of the larger and more prominent churches in Asia Minor that was most impacted by Paul himself. And, and I think of it often, I think, because of its relevance particularly to myself personally. Uh, I have a Paul. I have a Paul in my life who has called me and equipped me and encouraged me. And so when I read this, I don't just read Paul's words to Timothy, but I, I, I read James' words to me as well. Paul says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I, I love this passage because it clarifies two things for myself as a pastor. Number one, it says this, that there's a right way and a wrong way to do my job. There's a right way and a wrong way to do my job. Paul is implying that some pastors have no need to be ashamed and by implication, there are some pastors who do have need to be ashamed. And you can tell which is which by how they handle the Scripture, the Word of God. If they are rightly handling the Word of God, if they're talking about the hard things, if they're rightly dividing those things that no one wants to hear and they're giving it to them anyways, they have no need to be ashamed. You've done your job the right way, Paul says. But if you're wrongly handling it, if you're skipping over things, if you're making things say things that really aren't there, you have every need to be ashamed. You've done it the wrong way. Paul says to the pastors in Ephesus prior to Timothy's actually 
promotion there. He says in Acts 20, verses 24 to 27, he says, but I don't account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, check this out, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. In other words, he's saying, you're never going to see me again. All right, I'm going off. These are my closing thoughts to you. So hold on to this tightly and remember this because this is important. And look what he says. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Amen. Paul had nothing to be ashamed of. Why? Because he did the job the right way. He rightly handled the word of truth. He didn't shrink away from saying the hard things. He declared the whole counsel of God. And I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of pastors and preachers today in 2021 and moving into 2022 who do not declare the whole truth of God, especially in this day and time. They don't want to offend or hurt feelings because that is the cardinal sin of our culture, hurting feelings. <laughs> hurt your feelings, you're the, you're the scum of the earth. And Paul says, you should be ashamed of yourself. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. The right way lifts up the unvarnished truth of God knowing that it will unify and it will divide at the same time. That's when, the, when a so-called pastor is more concerned with keeping people happy yep. than presenting the truth, pox on his house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is a betrayal of the calling of God to those of us that are called to do this with our entire lives. Amen. Pox on his house. Well, and, and that there are many in this country right now because of fear with all of the oh, mess yeah. that's going on and all the amalgamation into the truth of God that is being done. They are sitting there and allowing the truth to be watered down. Well, you know, it, it's interesting that you say that. This is not in my notes, but I'll go there. We've got a, we've got a little bit of time. One service today. So if we go over five well, we minutes. We can go as long as we fun. want to today. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, this, this year, actually, it was this year, earlier this year, uh, January, February, I was teaching through on Wednesday nights a class called Cults, and uh, we were discussing each week one of the so-called new religious movements that are kind of disguise themselves as Christianity, but they're not. They're more of like a Christian cult, and one of the ones that I covered uh, was a group called The Way International, and... Uh, it's, it's very interesting. You know, our YouTube channel is, has grown over this year. There's a lot of people online. In fact, I just got a message from Kelsey that there's, there's like over 60 people right now watching live, which is pretty, uh, pretty interesting in and of itself. Lots of people watch it after the service. But um, my cult videos, you know, they're, they're not like viral, right? There's, there's maybe 80 to 100 people, 100 views, give or take. The Way International has almost 4,000 views on it, and uh, mostly by, by way members who get online and look at the trash that's being talked about them so that they can go and comment really nasty things. I turned the comments off so I didn't have to worry about that. But you can tell because there's lots of dislikes. And, and I still, this week even, got an email from a woman up north who was raised in the Way International who left the way in, I think she said 1989, maybe 1990, and is still to this day, she's in a Southern Baptist church now, she is still to this day being confronted with things that she has always believed about the Bible that are very wrong. And she's just now coming to this point where she's allowing the word of God, the truth of God, to confront those things, 
and force her to change what she thinks and believes. And she found my video and wanted to email me just to say to me that she's so happy to see that there are some pastors out there willing to speak out against this stuff. And I thought, man, that's what makes it worth it right there. That's right. Yeah. There there are days in this work that that'll be the only thing that'll make you want to get up in the morning. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the first thing. There's a right way and a wrong way. Here's the second way, and it, it tails right into what James just said. My approval rating doesn't come from you. <laughs> I don't have to worry that much when you get mad, because if I'm doing this the right way, if I'm rightly handling the word of truth, here's what it means. You aren't even really getting mad at me. You're getting mad at the word of God. And that's your business to figure out, not mine. Either way, my approval doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Paul says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as approved. There are too many pastors present themselves to their church as approved. And that's the wrong way of doing it. I'm not interested in that. And I bring this up, again, as we're reflecting back on 2021. What I saw this past year was the truth of God bringing both unity and division. Some folks, as any year, if we're being honest, but especially uh, in, in 2021, left because of the truth that we spoke. They did not like it. They wanted to see more social justice. They wanted more of the world's approach to social problems. They wanted less biblical commentary on social issues because it doesn't really match the uh, going message uh, in today's culture. There are people that did not like that I talked about critical theory and critical race theory. Uh, it's funny because the few people who engaged me in conversation about it, had no real argument against what I said because I cited only from source material (laughs) written by critical theorists. They just didn't like that I said what I said because it divides some of their other friends and and they're not comfortable with that. They want to play both sides of the road. They don't don't want their other side of their friends knowing that, that this is what's being taught and that this is what they potentially might believe because it would be offensive to them. And the truth divided those people away. And it's interesting that that same truth unified some of you others to us. So many of you came to us looking for a church who was willing to speak the whole counsel of God. Some of you have come to me, many of you have come to me and said, you know, we left our church that we'd been going to for 10 or 15 years. You know, after 2020, they, they started drifting away from the scripture. They wanted more social justice, and we, we gave it time, and we prayed, and we talked to the pastor, and we gave it time, and we prayed, and nothing changed. And so we left because we wanted to be somewhere where the word of God was being lifted up above all things. That same truth that divided some of those people away unified some of you to us. And I want you to understand something, that it's certainly hard to watch people walk away. You know, there's no doubt about that, especially people you've invested in over the course of many years. But I want you to understand that that trend of division and unifying, I think is actually a very good sign. It's something that I rejoice in. It's something that I celebrate in. I rejoice. I see it as a mountain and a valley. And I rejoice in it because it indicates that there is some kind of healthy growth that is taking place. In order for growth to happen, there has to be a pruning process that takes place. And nothing prunes people better than the truth of God's word. Nothing. And so I bring this up not only as a, reflect, a reflection of 2021 to, to maybe give you some insight into, man, I, I used to see this person here or I used to see this person here and they left and I can't figure out why because I agreed with what they were saying and they didn't. Well, it's because the truth divided some and it unified others. That's a good reflection on 2021, but I bring it up because next week we're going to come back and talk about 2022 and vision casting looking forward. And I want you to know that this is the plan. We're not changing anything. We're doubling down on truth. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. 
We're not doing anything differently because my approval rating isn't contingent on how you feel about it. It comes from God. And I would way rather upset every single one of you and hear from the Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I'm willing to talk with you about it, and I want you to hear that. I think it's important that you hear that from me. I will absolutely talk to you about anything that I say or James says that is um, uncomfortable to you or that you have questions about or that you take issue with. I will have a discussion. Email me, message me. I'm on Facebook. Friend me, message me. Those messages hit my phone. I don't always get to them right away, but I will. Because here's why I say that. Sometimes people get upset by something that we say, and when I get the chance to sit down and talk with them, what we come to find out is they just completely misunderstood what we were saying. I didn't even say that. I didn't even say that. Did or did you hear that? Or, yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> this happened several times over this last year. So I am willing to engage with you. I am willing to talk with you. That is part of my role here. But understand this, that if at the end of that conversation, what it turns out is it's just the truth of God's word that's upsetting you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kindly and gracefully ask you to wrestle with that and not me. I'm not who you need to be wrestling with. You need to be wrestling with the Holy Spirit on that one. I don't write this. We just unpack it. That's our whole role. Life is complicated, isn't it? It's complicated. It's not as simple as high in one day, low in the other. Often it is high and low simultaneously. Often it is unity and division simultaneously. And that is okay. That is where I believe God wants us to learn how to both rejoice and mourn simultaneously. Because in doing so, we're able to meet the highs where they are and meet the lows where they are and not diminish either of them. Not not put away or suppress any of them, but really live in both of them at the same time. And I've said this for many, many decades. When you start talking in decades, you know you're old. But I've, been, <laughs> I've said this for many decades, and I've had people argue with me. But I believe it to be true. I never learned anything on the mountaintop. That's right. I've been refreshed there. I've been able to relax there. But I've never learned a thing there. Everything I've learned has been in that valley. Everyone when, wants mountains and unity. When the bottom fell out, everything I've learned has been in that valley. And God, by his graciousness, gives us mountain time, mountain experiences while we're in the valleys, or we probably would throw up our hands and quit sometimes. Yeah. But look to those valleys as a teaching moment. That's right. That's right. Come back next week, and we're going to talk about the vision that we have for, and the opportunity really, I think is a good word, to make different choices. The new year presents itself only once a year, and it gives you the opportunity to, uh, to rethink maybe some of the ways that you're doing things, maybe rethink some of the decisions that you're making currently, some of the habits that you're making currently, and I don't mean, you know, Diet Coke versus regular Coke. That's fine. You can do that on your own. But I mean within the local church, where you're spending your time, how you're using your gifting, we're going to come back and talk about that next week. Pray with me before we finish. Father, thank you for this time, and thank you for such a valuable year to, to glean such, I think, uh, really important truths, that, there, that life is mountains and valleys simultaneously, that life is unity and division simultaneously, and, and that when we learn that, when we're able to really get our minds around that, it allows for your people to truly be all things to all people within the body. 
to be able to mourn with those on our right hand and to be able to rejoice with those on our left hand and, and do them at the same time and not feel bad about one or the other, but to recognize that life is complicated but that we serve a sovereign God who loves us, who has a plan and a purpose for us and will one day redeem all of creation back to himself, God. We rejoice in you for that and we thank you for that and we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you.